0: This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Ren Wadsworth. And
1: I'm Maximus Hunter.
0: And we're joined in studio today by one of our amazing reporters, Ivy Winfrey, if you want to say hello.
2: Hey, y'all. I'm Ivy.
0: And we have a jam-packed show for you guys today. We're going to start with campus news with Ivy and then move into an interview with Haneen Badri. After that, we're going to do some local news with Remy, another one of our reporters. Shortly after that, we will have a round table. And then after that, we're going to go into another interview with Ann from the Book Fair.
1: It's going to be a real interesting show. Um, Hanin is on the show to talk about what happened at ASCSU last week in regards to some of the protests and the legislation that uh, came out of those. Uh, Our roundtable is going to be about um, a recent report stating that Denver is actually the least safe city or one of the least safe cities in Colorado. And finally, uh, we're going to be talking with Annie, or Ann, about the Fort Collins Book Fair. And this year's book fair is going to be food for thought. So we got lots of interesting stuff coming up today.
0: But before all of that, we're going to start it off with Ivy with her local newscast.
2: Hey, y'all. This is your campus news for the day. According to Charlotte Lang at the Collegian, last night the Associated Students of Colorado State University unanimously passed a resolution that condemns anti-Semitism. This was in response to a growing trend of anti-Semitic occurrences on campus, including a recent vandalism occurrence where a swastika was painted in a public place in Aggie Village. Another bill was also passed which would fund a campus Holocaust Awareness Week. These were both bills aimed at supporting CSU's Jewish community. In reference to these bills... ASCSU President uh, Ben Amundsen said, quote, The resolutions are good, but it does not stop there. This conversation has to keep going. According to Delray-Kiravola at CSU, Colorado State University has received reports of email scams tar- targeting CSU students. The scams are attempting to get students to respond to a job offer. These scams appear credible because the email ending is at colostate.edu. The emails may also appear credible because the scammers collect information on you either by using your social media accounts or hacking into CSU databases. According to Mary Guidon at CSU, Louis the Llama, a llama that became famous on social media after photos appeared of him in Yellowstone National Park, is being sent back home after being given dental surgery by veterinarians at CSU. Louis the Llama was abandoned in Yellowstone in 2018 and had received a wound from a halter he escaped from, which healed improperly due to periodontal disease, prompting the surgery. Lewis the Llama was treated at CSU's James L. Voss Veterinary Teaching Hospital is expected to make a full recovery. That was your campus news with the Rocky Mountain Review.
0: Thanks, Ivy. Yeah, thank you so much, I Ivy. I always love
2: some good llama
1: news.
0: <laughs> I always love to hear about llamas, but I love to hear about alpacas more, so... Are you
1: llama-biased?
0: A little bit, a little bit.
1: Well, here at CSU, it sounds like we've been uh, doing the llama's share of the work. That was trying to come up with something. (laughs) What was that pun
0: supposed to be?
1: Not a pun.
0: Oh. (laughs) I don't. Anyway,
1: uh, we're glad to hear the the llama made a speedy recovery and is back to being a world famous llama, which is a phrase that I never thought I'd
3: say.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show, Ivy. Um, after the, we're going to take a break real fast, but just a reminder that you can text or call us at 970-491-5278. And if you're interested in anything we're doing, we're both on YouTube and uh, Instagram Instagram at KCSU FM.
1: Twitter at KCSU FM. Send us your thoughts. Send us your love. Send us your hate. (laughs) Send us your best recipes. Uh, send us texts, uh, preferably.
0: Uh, but stay tuned because after the break, we're going to have an interview with Hanine Badri about uh, hashtag not proud to be and her interaction with ASCSU Senate meeting last Wednesday, right after this break. Welcome back from the break. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth.
1: And I'm Maximus Hunter. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. We are joined in studio by one of our reporters. Remy, you want to say hi?
0: Hello, everybody.
1: And uh, we have an interview we've been uh, Teasing for about uh, a week now, uh, finally happening today. We have Hanine Badri in the studio with us. Hanine, you want to say hi?
4: Hi, everybody.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Hanine. So, uh, for those who are just tuning in or uh, have been keeping up with us the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been putting some time into covering an incident that took place two weeks ago where uh, several uh, freshman CSU students were seen in a Snapchat that was shared around in what appeared to be blackface with the caption, Wakanda forever. Um, That uh, Snapchat has uh, become viral, was picked up by national news sources, and a lot of people on campus started talking about it and the response from the administration. Some of the emails, Joyce McConnell, our president, sent out about... um, saying the uh the post well uh well it doesn't follow our community values can't be retaliated against for freedom of speech and the first amendment that caused uh student backlash as well as um some some protests some talks with the ascsu and we've been covering it for the better part of the last uh two weeks and now we're here with haneen who uh, is uh, I believe a former member of ASCSU, correct? Yes, I am. And you were pretty thoroughly involved with the uh, the meetings with uh, hashtag Not Proud to Be and ASCSU to come yes. up with some legislations to address this in the future. Yes. Awesome. So uh, would you mind just to start off telling us about what is hashtag Not Proud to Be? Uh,
4: the hashtag not proud to be was started in response to the university approaching its 150th anniversary in Colorado. And we chose not proud to be just because, at this point, so many of us are fed up with everything. So, we're not proud to be part of a university that continues to remain complicit in protecting hate and bias and also ignoring the safety of all of the marginalized identities on this campus to hide behind freedom of speech for others.
1: Good to know. Um, So you've been quoted before as saying that uh, CSU values diversity until we get here. Uh, Do you believe that this institution performs in a racist way? And does that tie into why you are not proud to be?
4: I don't believe that CSU performs in a racist way, but I do feel like it normalizes hate and bias on this campus in the sense that we've had Nazis. For the past two years on a campus and there's nothing to stop them from coming again this year and csu's just going to say that the fla- the plaza is grounds for free speech but it goes beyond free speech it goes beyond s- towards safety towards stability towards the physical and emotional state of every student on this campus um and i don't think they really recognize that This does take its toll on us. It is a thing that we have to deal with every day. So it's not, we're just making a big deal out of this one instance. We have to face microaggressions on this campus every day. And when something like that happens, when the history of blackface isn't acknowledged on this campus, it's really, it's terrifying because it shows that students of color who live in those dorms aren't valued. Students of color who live in other dorms aren't valued. The students who, the 700 plus students who showed up on Wednesday aren't valued. Um, So not really that CSU performs in a racist way, but it continues to allow it to happen in our community, even though the first principle of our community is inclusion. Gotcha, thank you. And then would you be willing to describe your interaction
0: with ASCSU last week, being that you were there, and some of the other students' interactions
4: as well? Uh, yes, yeah. so it was really amazing to see that 700 plus students, people, students from Puebla, students from Denver, Greeley, Boulder, showed up and showed support for us and showed that they care for us more than the university did in the past four years that I've been here. And mainly what was really great about Wednesday is that they did hold they did hold gallery discussion for three hours just so that everyone could be heard and everyone could tell like their own stories and their own experiences on this campus, whether it be from a student, a faculty, or someone who has helped bring students to CSU. But on Wednesday there were two resolutions passed. One was written by the WGAC back and El Centro Senator and then another one was written by another senator. And both of them were aiming to condemn the blackface incident that happened on campus just because specifically our student code of conduct states harassment through any means of communication. And I consider social media means of communication. I consider it the biggest means of communication. And if you're going to post something like that, you need to stop and think no matter what your intention was, this is wrong.
1: So yep. what, what can you tell us about the details of these two pieces of legislation? What do they specifically say? Yeah.
4: Well, the first one that was written by the SPS senators was focused solely on what the university constitution states and the Student bo- uh, Book of Conduct and ACSU's constitution as well. And mainly it was just... That that specific quote where harassment through any means of communication towards any race, religion, and just stating that if this is what's in our student code of conduct and social media is a form of communication and blackface is harassment, whether people want to accept that or not, it is harassment because at the end of the day, we can't wash, wash our blackness off. It's not Wakanda forever, it's not a sign for brotherhood, it's harassment, and the history that it carries is really violent towards any black person on this campus, Um, but mainly just getting ASCSU to acknowledge that we are your constituents, and we know this is wrong, you know this is wrong, the university knows this is wrong, even though they won't say that, so will you listen to your constituents, the people who put you in power, and vote for the things that we want to see happen?
1: Wonderful. Um, And would you mind uh, just telling us what role you play in uh, Hashtag Not Proud to Be and what role you were playing on Wednesday?
4: I did, well, um, the actual student mobilization was led by a student over at Greeley who reached out to the back senator, I believe, and they started just posting it all over social media and once that picked up together um janae Marcella, michela and just and myself decided that we should meet just to like be able to actually organize and like have like a group of core people here to like continue the work that needs to be done just because it's not really just about this it's about moving forward it's about getting CSU to rectify mistakes that it's made in the past as well. So students
0: and members of uh, Hashtag Not Proud to Be went on stage during Joyce McConnell's fall address, her first fall address, um, and kind of put a piece of paper on the stage, if I'm correct, right? Yes. So um, what did the piece of paper say?
4: Yeah. So on the front side, it was... A big hashtag not proud to be and then on the back we had our statement our purpose statement and the ask that we had for that Thursday so that this was a silent protest that we aren't going to disrupt President McConnell during her address and just to show up and be there and show them our presence really. And what was uh, President McConnell's reaction to this protest not protest but um Well, she acknowledged us, and we were received with a round of applause, but none of us really wanted a round of applause. We didn't need that. What we needed was change, and what we still need is change. And a round of applause isn't going to fix that. Acknowledgement isn't going to fix that. Words and even though her emails are getting better in addressing topics like this, they aren't gonna fix that until we see the change that's na- enacted on campus, like initiatives to prevent this from happening to dorms again, like having student conflict resolution mediate things like this in dorms, or diversity training throughout like the university, which should already be a thing.
1: Um, have you had any interaction with uh, Joyce McConnell, the administration, since this uh, demonstration?
4: Not yet. No. Um, but I do hope we do. I do hope we'll be able to sit down and figure out new ways that we can all make CSU better that are probable, doable, and can be put in place soon.
1: Absolutely, Um, are you,
4: Oh, go ahead. I just wanted um,
0: a little bit of clarification because some students are calling um, not proud to be a protest, some students are calling it a movement. I just wanted to kind of get your opinion on what you were defining this as.
4: I would say we're a group just because before the silent protest at the address, we, before and after, we congregated to just meet and like talk about like what we want, talk about like what we're here for, what we're standing for. And it was nice to see about over 100 students who walked with us down that oval and walked with us to the address and stayed afterwards to hear what we had to say and what we wanted to get out of it. So it is a group. Um, we do have an Instagram at not proud to Be and an email at nptb.csu at gmail. Um, yeah, so follow us, I've email seen, us your stories. I've seen the
1: Instagram. Uh, you post uh, information about future events on the Instagram, correct? Yes. Wonderful. Um, So we're going to wrap this up, but we just have a couple last questions. So with everything that your group has been doing the last two weeks, are you satisfied with the results and the outcome? Are you satisfied with the reaction you're getting from people, or do you think there could be more?
4: I think all of us were definitely really surprised, but very satisfied at the turnout that we've been getting just because going through, like, countless, like, bias incidents events, it really does feel isolating to, like, someone on campus to not have a community. But seeing all the people that showed up, regardless of race, regardless of, like, what ide- other identities they may hold, um, it was really empowering to see, like, this is what CSU is and this is who CSU should be.
0: And I think going off of that is a great starting point for this next question, which is what is the
4: next step after this? The next step would be... Definitely planning, just meeting with groups, groups that focus on marginalized identities on campus, like Dream is United, like meeting with the STPS offices, just to see what can we do across the board, not just for the identities that we hold.
1: Wonderful, and that was our last question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one more uh, just before we go on our break here. And thank you so much for coming thank in, honey, and It's been awesome to talk to you. Um, I, I am curious though if you had uh, a message and uh, a message from hashtag not proud to be for the CSU community that listens, uh, what would you like to say to them?
4: Mainly that we're here, we aren't going to be ignored on this campus anymore. We do have demands that will be enacted, and that we aren't going anywhere for the nearby future.
1: Thank you so much, Janine. We are going to be right back after the break with a newscast from our reporter Remy. So stay tuned.
0: Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth.
1: And I'm Maxwell Hunter. We are joined in studio by two of our reporters. You want to introduce yourselves?
0: My name is Remy Kelbel. Uh,
1: my name is Ivy Winfrey. Thank you so much for joining us today, y'all.
0: We uh, brought both of our reporters back because we wanted their input on our roundtable, which is about how uh, in the safest Colorado cities list, Denver was portrayed close to last.
1: Number 54 out of uh, 63 or something along those lines.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's not
1: looking good.
0: Yeah, Denver was portrayed, according to this article, as just just a terrible place to live, essentially. Um, And this this comes from Westworld, by the way, uh, written by... Westwards are. Westworld is that TV show? Yes. With the, uh, the and stuff. So it's uh, brought by Westward, and Michael Roberts wrote this article.
1: Um, and this, it is worth noting that this is just Colorado cities, and the first, the first few cities. I mean, the, the second safest city is Louisville, which has a decent population, about twenty thousand. But um, really, all of the uh, all of the cities that top the list have smaller populations, and the. The first major city to uh, show up on this list as uh, one that doesn't that is a safe place to live is Fort Collins, ranking in at 32. So about halfway through the list is Fort Collins. Whoop, whoop. As far as big cities go, we are the safest.
0: Which is pretty good, I have to say. I'm pretty yeah. Makes me, me glad to live here. Makes me glad to live here too. Um, I have looking at this list. A lot of the safer, quote unquote, safer places to live are places I've never heard of, um, and I don't think that's because I like haven't been in Colorado. I've lived Colorado in Colorado. Almost my entire life. I think they're just smaller, smaller
1: places. Smaller places. So some I'm, of them I'm familiar with. Some I'm not. Cherry Hills Village is number one, and I'm actually not quite familiar with where that is. So if, I believe it's yeah. near Denver.
0: If I go, it takes me all the way till seven to actually know any of these, which is Lamar. Oh,
1: really? I, uh, Lu- Louisville is. Uh, not far from here actually Louisville is on between Denver and here uh, so yeah and I'm
0: not saying they don't exist I've just never heard of them honestly Erie
1: is really close by Um, Erie is really close by I sometimes work over there Um,
0: so we kind of want your guys' opinion about why you think that Denver was ranked so low like what caused it to be ranked so low
2: well um, according to this article uh, they specifically were ranking them based on Uh, rates for things like murder robbery assault burglary arson Um, so I think it may just be um, especially with Denver being so low is that Denver's like one of the most densely populated
1: areas in Colorado so so it's more likely like statistically to have stuff like that happen
2: Mm -hmm. there's just like a lot of people there so it would make sense that it would probably have a lot of occurrences of different kinds of crimes
1: what what really strikes me as interesting, though, is Cherry Hills Village is is not far from Denver, I believe, and I also think it is one of the, the wealthier areas in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So why why do you think that, that they are the number one safest spot if they're so close to the places that aren't so safe, like Denver or Glendale, which is the very bottom of the list and is basically a part of Denver?
2: Well, um, a big part of it seems to be that Cherry Hills Village has a very low population, yeah. uh, comparatively.
0: Um. I was going to say, too, maybe it's because, um, once again, Denver is highly populated and a spot where a lot of people have to go for work. Uh, Cherry Hills Village, while people may live there, they don't necessarily work there. And that might be where a little bit of the difference comes in. It's not saying it's a safe place to live. It's saying it's not a safe city, which is like kind of a different thing, if that makes sense. Um, like things happen there, um, aside from living there, if that makes sense. I don't know how to phrase it correctly.
1: Well, in Fort Collins, uh, at number, uh, 34, right? And smack dab in the middle there, but being the most densely populated, uh, city to show up so high, uh, I think that makes sense. Living here, uh, I mean, we, we, we have crime. We report on crime here on the Rocky Mountain Review. Yeah. But I I gotta say, honestly, crime pickings are slim. I mean, uh, I'll look—we know we look at police reports and we look at stuff like that to do our local newscasts. And not a lot of crime happens here in Fort Collins, and when it does, it's it's pretty big news, um, even little stuff. And that's that's just not true of a place like Denver.
0: I was yeah, I was gonna say even going so far as to point out the homeless situation in Fort Collins versus Denver. Um, I have, I'm not gonna say homeless people in Fort Collins don't exist, however, I have not seen a strong presence of them, while I have seen a lot, a lot of them in Denver. Yeah, Denver is definitely... I'm not saying, yeah, like, homeless people leads to crime, but that's just one factor in that statistic.
5: Yeah, Denver is definitely heavily populated with, uh, uh, homeless and Colorado Springs, so...
1: Yeah, b- both cities have kind of had, in recent years, I always thought the term crisis was kind of the wrong term for that, but that is what the official dubbing of uh, their, their stance on homelessness is. is they, they have, in the last few years, had a quote-unquote homeless crisis, is what they called it, and Fort Collins hasn't had that issue. Uh, another, another thing that just may be worth noting is um, a residential crime is much, much more common in Denver than it is in Fort Collins. I remember last year um, a young man was stabbed because of an altercation with his neighbor about uh, picking up after his dog in Fort Collins. And that uh, actually made like big headlines because we don't have crime like that. We don't have, uh, for lack of a a term, a petty crime like that. In Fort Collins, like a place like Denver where uh, Occurrences like that, I mean, if you, you know, if you go into, you don't even need to go to police reports, you can go to a news source and you'll see many, many smaller petty crimes like that. We just, we just don't have that problem. And part of that is we have a really great community here. I think we really, I mean, it may seem corny or cliche, but I think the fact that we really push community and being a good neighbor and that we really, uh, I think, work as a community together in Fort Collins prevents some of that crime, I think, because... Uh, people are, you know, focused on good neighborly values, we don't have smaller neighborhood crimes as much.
2: Mm -hmm. It's also um, important to mention that, like, another contributing factor to uh, crime rates uh, is also poverty, Mm -hmm. Um, and so in more affluent cities, I would expect that you would get um, less overall of these specific crimes, um, especially considering uh, robbery is a big one, obviously, you probably aren't trying to steal from somebody if you already are pretty well off on yourself. Um, so um, I think you could probably draw a correlation between uh, poverty rates in these cities and uh, their amount of like uh, dangerous crime rates. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And I wanted to ask a question. Um, have has everybody in the room been to Denver at least once? Yes.
5: Uh, yeah, grew I up there.
2: I, yeah. I uh, work in Denver
1: all the time over the summer.
0: I just wanted to see like kind of gauge the room, like have you guys felt unsafe in Denver when you've gone?
1: Absolutely. On? Yeah? Oh, I mean, I, yeah. I grew up there. It's not that, like, Denver as a whole is unsafe. Uh, right. I think there are just certain places, certain scenarios every now and then where it'll be like, you know, because I think Denver – you know, it overall feels pretty safe, but then, just, you know, it'll be... You take a wrong o- turn. You t- take a wrong yeah. turn downtown, and yeah. it's 10 o'clock at night, <laughs> and suddenly you're like, oh, you know, I don't know where I am. And it, I think Denver can feel a little unsafe from time to time, and you hear about stuff.
2: Right.
5: Yeah, I, I think the not, homeless population oh. definitely plays into that, so...
2: Um I've been on a bus in Denver before and uh as we were we got off the bus and we were waiting to get on the next bus um a knife fight <laughs> broke out like in the middle of the day right next to us. No way. Wow. Yeah. Um I don't remember all the specific details because I was trying to get on the next bus and avoid the knife fight but um... You're telling
1: me you weren't trying to just get get in there? Oh, definitely <laughs> <Jump> not. <in. laughs> Room um. for one more? <laughs> Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for sharing your opinions and your thoughts on this one. Um, we're going to end that one there. But, but before
0: we do, yes. if uh, we wanted to get your opinion on if you've ever felt unsafe in both Denver and Fort Collins, kind of your experiences with that, uh, and text us at 970-491-5278. And also... Give us your opinion on why you think Denver was ranked so low and why Fort Collins is holding it up in the middle.
1: Once again, that's 970-491-5278 or KCSU. But it's time for our local news with Remy. Uh, Take it away, Remy. Here
5: we go. All right, so I got your news here. So the CSU Homecoming 5K is the 39th annual race starting at CSU's Oval at Saturday, October 5th at 7.30 a.m. Registration is now open, and it is $30. So usually, this race is held on the Saturday of homecoming week. But due to CSU playing San Diego at 8 p.m. on October 5th, the race is going to be held on Saturday with an earlier start time. So not only will it start earlier, but the long-held CSU race being a homecoming tradition is actually a fundraiser for CSU's cancer program, which provides physical exercise for cancer survivors. So I thought that was very interesting. That is. Yeah, and then the CSU uh, opening Arkansas Valley Campus. So they're celebrating their new Arkansas Valley campus, which is located in Rocky Ford, Colorado. Uh, Due to CSU being a great agricultural school, the new campus provides studies in crop production and testing through the CSU Veterinary Diagnostic Laboratory. It supplies autopsy capabilities for large and small animals. And this new campus will allow for further research and play a big role in the agricultural community at CSU. Okay, my last one. So I thought this one was really interesting actually. So students gather forest data in Yellowstone National Park. So in August, a group of Colorado University staff and students gathered data at more than 30 sites with Colorado State Forest Service inventory and analysis, staff, volunteers, and U.S. Forest Service employees. They explored the country's oldest national parks for two weeks, and they did this to monitor the health of forests on public and private lands. The team took uh, horses, uh, they backpacked for 60 miles, and others motorboated to get data on how the forest changed over time. So uh, they traveled through Yellowstone, in big groups to ward off grizzly bears because they are, grizzly bears are not as inclined to attack in uh, bigger groups. So students learned beforehand, they learned uh, bear training for safety precautions in case they were attacked during this time. Hopefully not, that's not really good. Uh, The forest inventory and analysis staff study how forests change over time and look at how the health, condition and growth of the nation's forests. Uh, benefit the uh, parks, and so being a part of this crew is a wonderful opportunity for students to learn a little more about their uh, the national forest around here.
1: Awesome! Thank you so much, Remy. Um, just to clarify, you said that was uh, CSU students. Yes, correct?
0: yes, it was. Awesome!
1: Wow. wow, that's so cool, cool. to hear that uh, students from Colorado State are yeah. doing such cool uh, environmentally friendly things like that.
0: I wonder what it what is involved in bear training. I I want to know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You at least have to give up one or two fingers. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Put your hand in a bear trap.
1: (laughs) All right. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to be back with Anne from the Fort Collins Book Festival. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth.
1: And I'm Maximus Hunter.
0: And we are joined in studio by the co-chair of the fort collins book festival Ann mcdonald if you want to introduce yourself
3: yes i'm ann mcdonald and i'm co-chair of the book festival i'm also a librarian at pooter libraries and the book festival is a partnership with csu morgan library and the pooter libraries here in town gotcha
0: all right well just to kick things off um how long has the book festival been going on for
3: Uh, This is actually our fourth year, and every year we're wondering if we're going to make it to the next year. But this is our fourth year. Uh, The first one was in 2016, and we covered uh, craft brewing and different issues in craft brewing. And the second one was um, in 2017, and that was um, music industry, the growing music industry in Fort Collins. And then last year was science and technology, and then this year is food for thought. We're focusing on the food systems. We always try to have... um, a book festival that will resonate with CSU students and with the community. So we stick with topics that are really just popular. We're going to cycle through those to- those topics over the next uh, few years. Right on.
1: That's it. a that's a plan. That's a good plan. Um, can you tell us how you came up with the uh, topic for this? Th- Uh, this year's food for thought
3: yeah we uh each year we choose a topic that is um we have like seven topics and they have been identified by csu and by the community the city of fort collins as economic drivers so that's kind of where get what gets us on this Uh, we started out with uniquely fort collins that's one of their economic clusters and craft brewing was part of that music's part of that and then um, and food is part of that. And then the other one is science and technology. Water resources we'll probably do next year because water resources is another one of the economic drivers that they've identified for Fort Collins. So that's how we chose it. And it was kind of came into the list. And last year everybody wanted to do food and some of us are not foodies. And so we didn't want to quite um, hit the food yet, but this has been so popular and um, we're really glad we chose it, so.
0: Yeah. and. It looks like one of your headliners is actually going to be a chef. Do you want to t- want to tell us a little bit yeah, about him?
3: Yeah, Sean Sherman is an Og- Oglala uh, Lakota chef, and he's from Minnesota. And he's um, he just won two James Beard Awards, and he's done the Sioux Chef S I O U X. And he won, the, uh, for his book, The Sous Chef's Kitchen, and he's gonna be talking about that. And that was a partnership with CSU's Native American Cultural Center. So they helped us bring, in, bring him in, and we're working with the museum, too, on that. And uh, he's been great to work with, actually. He's gonna be doing a dinner on Friday night with uh, the uh, CSU students, uh, Native American Cultural Center, and our Native community in Northern Colorado. He always likes to touch base with Native communities when he's here, when he's traveling. And, um, and he's going to do the, He's going to be at Laurie Student Center Theater on Saturday night at five thirty. And he's just going to talk about indigenous cooking and the culture of indigenous cooking and um, his own experience in growing it. So um, he's. We just really feel so lucky we got him because uh, he just we got him before he won the two James Beard Awards. Oh. He won, his book won the James Beard Award, and then he got um, he got the James Beard Award for leadership in culinary. Uh, arts, so uh, we felt really lucky about that.
1: Well, and it's it's cool to hear you say that uh, you're working with CSU and that He's going to come speak on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you work with CSU and with our library here, to uh, how you synthesize that into the book festival? Yeah,
3: that's a good question. Uh, we do work closely with CSU from the beginning. And I used to work with CSU. So, I mean, I used to work at CSU, so I have a lot of connections at the library. But the library, uh, CSU Library and Putter Libraries has always had an author um, series. So every quarter, they bring in top authors like Bill Bryson. And I, I can't think of them all right now, but they bring in some really top authors and so that was already set in motion and then when we started talking about a book festival and expanding that and getting more um, attention on books and literature and writing we decided to do this book festival and we really decided together it was both libraries that decided to go ahead so we've been together the whole time and then we lean on the csu um the CSU English department because we have half industry writers every year and we have half prose and poetry. So we lean on Um, CSU uh, English department to really find us those poets and those prose writers that are very literary and they have something to do with our topic not perfectly but they are able to slide into our topic in some way (laughs) so we've always been able to work with them and then this year and then for the craft brewing we just worked with a fermentation department here on campus and we were able to bring in they just opened their new lab so we were able to bring in uh John Hickenlooper who was governor at that time and he had his book. Oh he's a big
1: fermentation guy. And Yeah. yeah
3: and he they got it he got a tour of the lab and he did a great thing at at, up at bob blue theater so um we felt really lucky about that that's so interesting
1: i'm uh, I'm actually an english department person so makes me me wish i wrote more about food
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well we're very loosely the frozen poetry is very loosely about food so so speaking of uh bringing
0: in people from csu are you planning on having any csu or local writers at the book festival
3: yeah, we have quite a few, uh, CSU. We have um, Michael Carolyn, who's in the sociology department, I think, or the um, economic department. And he really studies the sociology of food and how people eat, and he did cheaponomics and the, the expensive you know, cost of food. And he's going to be talking about, let me just pull it up here. Um, he's going to be talking about Food Sharing Revolution, and that's his latest book. And so we really feel lucky about that. We have Josh Sebeka. He's at CSU, and he's going to talk about food justice. And then we have some prose and poetry readers from CSU. We always rely on uh, Ramona Osibol. I don't know if you know. She's a new professor at CSU, and she's going to be doing a short story. She's going to be doing a poetry workshop and then several readings, too. And then we also have just—he's not from CSU, but— Rick Bass, and his writing has been taught at CSU. He's an essayist, and he's a big game hunter, and he's a Montana guy, and he's an environmentalist, and he's one of our headliners, too. And he's going to he's gonna talk about his book called The Traveling Feast, and what he does is load up his big game and he drives it across to a, the country to his favorite authors and then he uh, cooks a big meal for them and he's just wrote an essays about each of those experiences so he's going to be there too he's going to open it at nine thirty.
1: Sounds like something that's probably going to get a lot of interaction from students. Um, uh, we
3: usually do yeah.
1: I'm just mm-hmm. curious so um, it sounds like a lot of these uh, writers and figures will be speaking will it just be uh, speaking engagements will there be uh, panels what kind of uh, the events will you be having at the yeah fair, we have
3: book talks so a lot of them who have books they come from we have a, a, about 20 coming in from around the country so we always try to make this a national book festival not just a local one so we have 20 people probably coming from out of the country and they have'm I mean, out of the state and they talk about um, their book or their topic uh, another one is Mark Easter he just is going to talk about food and climate and he's also here at CSU walking uh, working on a project but we also have panels we have book discussions uh, one person we have is John Gordnier, and he's coming. He's the food editor for Esquire, and he wanted to meet Sean Sherman. So he's going to have a one-on-one on stage with Sean Sherman, and that's really going to be great. And then we have, um, we always have um, sessions up at New Belgium. We're having sessions at Scrumpy's, and uh, those are— At Scrumpy's, we're having a panel on the history of the apples in, Fort Co- in Colorado, and we have uh, apple experts coming in for that. We have a panel on— um, homegrown food and regenerative agriculture and uh, we have a panel on uh, the power of food which is the ethics and um, the ethics and politics of food and we're trying to get Joe Neguse uh, Congressman Joe Neguse to come to that and be part of that and he's his schedule is getting a little screwed up because things in Washington but he's planning to come for that too.
1: So just in case people didn't hear, what days will the festival be again?
3: It's October 18th and 19th, and uh, it's really a good festival if you've never been to a book festival before, because it's completely free, we don't charge for anything, we have workshops all day on Friday at the Old Town Library, and they're completely free, you just have to sign up for them, and then all day Saturday we have the book talks and the book fairs, and it's at eight, um, at, at ten venues in downtown Fort Collins.
1: Uh, sure um, and say uh, some for someone like me who's working that Saturday but I w- would you know be interested in seeing Sean Sherman talk to the author of the book on uh, food and uh, mm-hmm. climate um, if I couldn't make it is there a way I could still uh, see some of the discussions or read about them?
3: Uh, we you can read about them. We're trying to record some of them. We do try to record some of them, so that would be available as a podcast. So we do try to do that. Uh, there we are. Sean Sherman is going to be at Laurie Student Center Theater at 5:30 on um, Saturday night. So you might be able to get that too. And it is just a book festival. You can come and go. You can go to it's Scrumpy's, It's Wolverine Farm. We have them at New Belgium. We have an old firehouse book. So it's everywhere downtown so gotcha and
0: since we're talking so much about books i think we have to pose a question to the whole room and to our audience as well what is your guys's favorite books max
5: <laughs> oh
1: okay i'm going first yeah <laughs> um, let's see right <laughs> I now could, i can think about it <laughs> yeah i give y'all some time uh right now okay so this is i think this would have to be my favorite book so Uh, Everyone in the room knows who J.K. Rowling, who wrote Mm -hmm. Harry Potter, is, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So J.K. Rowling, uh, since Harry Potter, has started another series of books called the Cormoran Strike books.
3: Those are good.
1: Fantastic.
3: Those are really good.
1: Um, They're written under the pseudonym uh, Robert Galbraith, and uh, they're about this uh, grizzled detective veteran Cormoran Strike and his uh, assistant Robin. And it's much darker and more intense than Harry Potter, but it's, it's just some of the most gripping uh, thriller mystery writing I've read in a little while and I really enjoy those.
3: Yeah, that's really a good one. Uh, I I, I got to say, I just reread it, and it's Graham Greene's Quiet American. And mm-hmm. it's about uh, Vietnam before the Americans moved into it, and the French were still there. It sure. is a fantastic—and the writing is fantastic. And I usually read—I'm when I'm, I'm a writer, too. And when I try to get a new idea, a new way of writing, I always go back and read Graham Greene. And huh. Quiet American and uh, The Comedians is another great— um, uh, Grain Green story too. So I always go to Grain Green when I am looking for something to read.
1: I'll have to check out *Quite American*. I've re- I heard of the comedians, but
3: yeah, the comedians is great too. Yeah, it's a, a just a well-written book. If you are a writer, it's a good way to see how he approaches characters too. And I try my best. <laughs> how about you, Remy?
0: You know I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Ooh, Ooh, nice. I love him. Can you narrow it down to just one? Just, oh, see, I, can't, I can't do that. There's
5: no way. I do love The Shining. The yeah. Shining the, is just a classic. The Book
1: of the Shining is so different than the movie. It is different. For those listening mm-hmm. who don't know, The Book of the Shining is uh, wildly different and should definitely be checked out if you uh, like you, the movie.
0: Yes. Are you excited for Doctor Sleep? Oh, yes. So ready.
5: <laughs> so ready. Um, but I do love... I don't know if you've read any of Paula Hawkins' books. It's kind of a thriller, but she writes The Girl on the Train.
3: That was good. I it's a really good book. Yeah, that, it. Was really like it. that was really yeah. good. That was better than Gone Girl. I yes, yes. That was yes, really a good yes. book.
1: Yeah. Gone Girl was a lot of shock value.
3: Yeah, it yeah. did.
1: What about you, Ren?
0: Uh, my favorite book used to be kind of more of an indie book, but it's gotten a lot of popularity lately, and I really love *The Little Prince*. Oh yeah. I can never pronounce his full name, but it's a. It was originally a French book, and it just talks about. Le Petit about, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just talks about some of the beauty and heartaches of growing up, and it just meant a lot to me as I was transitioning into college and high school. And it's still been one of those books that I go back on, and I say, "Wow, like it's that really changed a my life." Yeah. yeah
1: right on well thank you for coming in so much thank you for
3: having me i just appreciate your letting us come in and talk about this and i like i said if it's a you've never been to a book festival this is a way to start it doesn't cost you anything and you can go to workshops and you can just enjoy a regular book festival
1: so awesome well it's been great meeting you uh we're going to take a very quick break but we're going to come back with our weather and thank yous and finish out the show so uh catch us in a couple minutes
0: Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth.
1: And I'm Maximus Hunter. Uh, we just heard from Ann McDonald about the book festival taking place in Fort Collins on October 18th. Um, and we're going to wrap up our show, but we wanted to have a little fun before we go. Of so, course. Of course. We're going to do all of our fun segments at the very end. Uh, starting with our national days for today. Ooh-hoo. Ren, if you wanna kick that one off.
0: I do. So today is September twenty sixth, and it is a food-filled holiday as as it is National Dumpling, National Pancake, and National Johnny Appleseed Day.
1: Not all in the same plate though. No. I mean,
0: I don't think you should be <laughs> you eating do, Johnny Appleseed apple like in the apple first place,
1: but pancake dumpling. Ooh. If you really wanted Ooh. to get creative with
0: it. Ooh. All right. Well, kicking it <laughs> off with Dumpling Day. Uh, dumplings are small pieces of dough. Generally, the dough is wrapped around a filling and then fried. While dumplings make for appetizing appetizers, they can also be added to soups, stews, or anything you can think of, really.
1: Or just eat plain. My dad makes homemade dumplings. Dad, if you're hearing this, uh, I love you. Keep making <laughs> those dumplings. They're awesome.
0: Um, today is also national pancake day and these buttery breakfast bites became a traditional part of fat tuesday or shrove tuesday celebrations that people would feast on before fasting pancakes are also called flapjacks griddle cakes hot cakes and johnny cakes I did
1: not know that bit of backstory on pancakes <laughs> i didn't either they're very historically food. yeah <laughs> interesting
0: makes sense though i guess yeah they're very fatty very filling <laughs> Uh, speaking of Johnny <laughs> Johnny Appleseed Day is today as well. Johnny Appleseed Day honors the man who made apple and pear trees grow bountifully across the U.S. Born as John Chapman in the early 1800s he traveled across the U.S. often barefoot and in a wide-brimmed hat spreading apple seeds to barren land. The National Day calendar says many stories tell how the man would travel many miles to nurse an ailing orchard when word would reach him of its poor condition. While bringing the trees back to health his chief in Denver endeavor the orchard man dispersed his wisdom care and kindness
1: that is a thorough backstory also i can't be the
0: only one who did not know he was not a a, no johnny was a
1: a, a real i mean he is a legend but he's the legend of a, a real johnny
0: i guess legend versus myth right yeah Yeah.
1: no uh it's you know part of the uh the american uh uh legend of how we came to be you know (laughs) yeah Um, here i'll take this last one
0: what the heck no Uh, i was so excited about this one (laughs) the last nationally recognized day has nothing to do with food and everything to do with a whale shamu the famous whale to be specific shamu is the name that is used in several of sea world orca whale shows it is the stage name given to the star of those shows beginning with the original Shamu in the late 1960s. Shamu, however, unfortunately died in 1971. However, SeaWorld trademarked the name Shamu. They gave the name to different orcas throughout the years when performing in Shamu shows in several SeaWorld parks. This day attempts to bring attention to orca whales, also known as killer whales, and their dwindling population numbers in the wild due to their forced captivity.
1: Now my question is, uh, whose agenda was it to name them killer whales? You don't name them something like that without some kind of ulterior motive,
0: right? You know, I always think try of this to
1: slander the orcas.
0: I always think of this comic where it's like a narwhal or something in a courtroom, and he asks the whale, "He's like, excuse me, if you could tell the courtroom exactly what kind of whale you are." And then one person's like, objection, because it would say he's a killer whale, and he's like, on trial. Does that
1: look like the face of a killer whale to you? Right. Anyway, we got to wrap this up, Uh, but it's just about time for our last segment. It is time for our last segment, the most exciting segment of the entire day, at least in some people's opinion. You ask them. They're out there. What segment is it?
0: I don't know. What segment is it? Time for the weather. the
1: weather! Friday is cooling off at 70 degrees and is overcast. What? But the rest of the weekend, temperatures are rising again. Saturday and Sunday, the sun will be out and about all day long. Saturday, will have a high of 77. That's right, double sevens. And the temperatures keep rising into Sunday with a high of 85. That is eight degrees higher. Whoa. Ooh. Things are cooling off Monday as the temperature goes down back to 77. That's double sevens again, down eight degrees for Tuesday. And Tuesday... Maybe the day for Colin starts feeling like fall. But you'll have to wait until next week's show to find out for sure.
0: Until then, that is unfortunately the end of our show. Aww. I know.
1: Every time. It always has Every time
0: it's always so sad. I know. But well, we do have to give some thanks. Thank yous.
1: Yeah, we have to thank people. First of all, we'd like to thank Damien Castile for making this music.
0: This music you're hearing right now. Thanks, he Damian. made all of the music that's uh, played in the show. So if you like what you're hearing, it's by him.
1: Um, We absolutely have to thank our lovely guests Haneen Badri and Anne McDonald. Um, We couldn't have the show without our guests and we really love that they came in to share with us their experiences and opinions and just who they are.
0: We have to thank our amazing reporters Ivy and Remy. Uh, Thank you guys for bringing in your newscasts and reading them live on air.
1: Um, We definitely have to thank all of the awesome staff at 90.5 KCSU. Couldn't do without you. Julia Badleese, Isaiah Rays, Hannah Copeland. Uh, I'm going to give Asher a special shout out because she was real tired today. Um, uh, Peter Wack. Jake Sherlock. Jake Sherlock. uh, Raven Color. Really, uh, everyone.
0: Everyone. Who helps (laughs) us make the
1: show what it is. you know, it's I have a to team thank effort.
0: you, Max. Oh, thanks, Ren. My co-host with the most. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't mean to boast, but I have to thank you, Ren. Aww. Because you're the co hostess who got the most I was trying to think <laughs> more creative there, I'm sorry, but we only have eleven seconds. Oh my gosh. We gotta thank we you, have to listeners. Thank you. We couldn't do this without you. We have five seconds left, so we'll just say see you see next week. See you next time.
4: week.